0: This is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now.
1: And
2: instead of calling it work, realize this is play.
0: Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from The Foot Collective
2: Australia. I'm Jim Dooner. And I'm Mac Lyon. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence.
0: This week, I'm back with Tom from Breath Performance to explore the concept of bunions. So, what they are, how they happen, and what you can do about them based on the current research as well as our experience with our physiotherapy clients. If you're struggling to make progress in your rehab, please feel free to reach out as we can either help you directly with our online consultations or we can point you in the right direction of other practitioners or resources that can help you.
2: This week's episode is brought to you by the TFC Soulmate, your ultimate all in one restoration and exploration tool. Made from cork, TFC Soulmates are an eco-friendly, lightweight and durable mobility, balance and foot training tool. This nifty piece of kit can be used as a massage roller for releasing tight muscles, a mini foot roller for the best darn foot rub you can imagine, a balance beam for endless play and even a slant board for incline and decline training. It also includes two toe resistance bands to help get those stiff tootsies stretching. Every TFC Soulmate comes with an in-depth online training system designed by TFC health professionals with more than 50 exercises and a fully structured program to ensure you get the most out of it. The Soulmate Training System 2.0 has just launched with a heap of new ways for you to move and play. Your Soulmate really is the perfect companion to mobilize your toes, feet and ankles, strengthen your lower body, improve balance, posture and alignment, and prevent and rehab common foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, bunions, ankle sprains, Achilles tendonitis, and so much more. Every order also helps Reforest Australia by planting one tree. To celebrate the relaunch of our podcast, we are now offering free shipping Australia-wide for all Soulmate kits. To learn more, head to tfc-shopaus.com. You'll find the link in our show notes. All right, back with
0: Tom Williams. Round three. Round three, yes. And round two of our sort of exploring common conditions podcast and, or series. Mm-hmm. And this episode is going to be all about bunions. Another big topic. Another very big topic. And as we said in the last one, all of these conditions that we're exploring can get very deep and it'd be, it can be easy to get lost in the weeds. Is that the right word? I think so. It sounds about right. <laughs> Lost in the weeds. <laughs> um, so we wanted to just dive in, figure out what we think is important for you to know and also to try and make things as actionable as possible for you uh, or as actionable as possible through audio and just give you things to really think about uh, to empower you to be more in control of your foot health and in this case it comes to when it comes to bunions um the other thing to i guess caveat is this this is how we're thinking about the topic at the moment things can change as you know we read more research or more research comes out and and so on but based on our current understanding of the research and the the way the body works and our experience with clients this is our 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 current views our current approach yes so things can change um but in general, the principles will pretty much remain the same. And, and again, I think it's real good to go back to that first
1: podcast. We did talking about the principles of rehab. We cover a lot of things that we might not cover as in-depth here. Mm. Simply put, because we wanted to give that as the foundation for our sort of following podcast on all these common conditions. So particularly, I think we talked about it a little bit last time, but again, like what the pain experience is and what pain is for someone and how that is so multifaceted, whether that be from your social life, your, your relationships with your friends, like your physical experience Experience of pain, like we touch a lot more on like what that means as an overarching concept in that first podcast. Yeah, and then go back to that uh, again because we'll mostly be focusing on bunions as they are and what
0: that means. I suppose. Yes, and actually, something that I don't think we really—I mean, we did touch on definitely—but something that we could expand a bit on as it relates to bunions is just the effect that the environment. Can have on your body, um, and specific specific environments mm. can have as well. So, to use a different example, there's a there's actually a good. Article I can't remember exactly when it was written, but ages ago by William Rossi. I think oh, he yes, was a William actress. Rossi. What a guy. Yeah. So, he wrote an article called um, Fashion and Deformity or something along those lines. There was one that was... V- if that wasn't the title, you should yeah. write a title of an article yourself. Yes. <laughs> so, but the premise was that there's all these different fashions and co- cultural trends that have popped up over the years in different areas that actually involve changing the structure of the body in order to... You know, I guess, in in order to fit in or to, in order to be fashionable. And some very extreme examples of that are certain cultures... Well, the Chinese um, foot binding practice that was done for a long time that involved wrapping young girls' feet, especially wrapping them very tightly with um, cloth or, or something just to really sort of make them small. And that would really... Eventually, as an adult, that that woman would have very, very tiny feet that would fit into these very, very tiny shoes. But her function was not drastically, really. r- drastically affected. So that's an extreme example of how you know a specific restrictive environment can affect the foot. And you, you can use other, other examples, examples like, like the straight- lip disc, right? Yeah, the lip
1: disc and like the neck. Uh, I don't. It's not called a neck slinky. But like the the, the the elongation of neck often seen in like parts of Africa, those yeah. are two other examples that they're very fashionable and there's a big sort of societal um, context to why particularly, again, women would often have those pieces.
0: Yes. Yeah. And so there's that. And then maybe something that most people are familiar with is like the stretcher earrings. Mm. So you start with just a piercing and then over time you put slowly bigger and bigger, I guess, piercings or objects yeah. in the in the earlobe and over time you can get these massive holes in your earlobe whereas that you didn't start with those massive Mm. holes and you you couldn't, you couldn't possibly, but with gradual loading over time, then the structure of that earlobe changed significantly. And now you've got these big holes in your ears. Mm. So it's not a, it's not at all a contentious point that the body adapts to those kinds of environmental changes. And those, those are extreme examples. Um, but it, they do relate to bunions. And so we might, not, we might not delve into exactly how they relate just yet, although you, you're probably guessing already. <laughs> um, but we would also like to start with just a quick uh, overview of the anatomy of the, or the important anatomy when it comes to bunions. So, See,
1: well, Understanding the anatomy to your foot particularly when it comes to bunions really gives you like the best foundation to understand what you're naturally sort of gifted with or born with. And then when we get to bones, understanding how that deviation occurs and then what that sort of deviation then causes. And, but again, the foundation of understanding your general anatomy that seems to be across most people on the planet is worth noting. Exactly,
0: yes. So, briefly, there's different bones in your foot. And if we just sort of think below the ankle, then there's what's called your tarsal bones, which are the bones that are pretty much directly below your ankle. There's your metatarsals, which are the long, longer straight bones that run from, I guess, around the ankle. Th- well, not quite at the ankle, but they run along the top of your foot. And What, was it? what is your foot? It's the top of if, your foot. It's, it's <laughs> essentially like your ta- tarsals are under, like
1: under your ankle. Your metatarsals are those long bones that then connect to your phalanges, which are your toes. Yeah, And like another way of breaking up the foot is you have the rear foot, which is like the heel. Then you have the mid foot, which is again where those metatarsals sort of connect to the smaller tarsal bones. And then you've got your forefoot, which is like where the metatarsals, the long bones meet
0: with your like toes and digits, those phalanges. Much better explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Love me a bit of anatomy. It's, a, it's also very uh, much easier. Probably if you really want to look into this, just watch a YouTube video on the anatomy of the foot. Cause it can be hard to sort of visualize, but those metatarsals, like Tom said, join to the tarsals in up near, sort of more towards your ankle, and then the, meta, and then the metatarsals then join with the phalanges. So, they're in between the, where those joins are, are meta, um, What we call joints. Yeah, right? joints. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you've probably heard of joints. Yeah. Um, so, between the metatarsals and the phalanges, uh, what's called metatarsophalangeal joints or mtp joints. you can
1: blame the latin derivative for all these words they're very long
0: yeah and then obviously between the phalanges you've got interphalangeal joints so the names aren't so important but if you hear people say mtpj or you know mtp joint um, ip joint uh, those kinds of things then and there's also tarsometatarsal joints so between the tarsals and the metatarsals
1: yes there's there's a lot of a lot of bones a lot of joints a lot of ligaments, a lot of things to see and understand Then the anatomical structure of the foot. But particularly for bunions, we are going to start with the focus on the, the inside, that where your, your arch is, or where people say, I've got a, I've got a big arch, or I've got a fallen arch. That, it's what we're going to call the medial side of your foot.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the, at the tarsometatarsal joint, so the first metatarsal joins to one of the tarsals, okay. and that angle there's an angle of how the metatarsal runs so it could either run basically straightforward and in the case of bunions it starts to angle immediately or towards the midline of the body yeah
1: probably like yeah, another way of like looking at it is if if you think from your inside part of your heel up to your big toe normally it's roughly pretty straight yeah. in, in a non-bunion condition uh, but when things start to deviate and go say a little bit pear-shaped for example you're looking at that metatarsal joint, uh, bone, sorry, the, the long bone, it's going to point towards the other foot. Yeah. It's going to start going across that way, which yeah. then leads anything past it, which is where the bunion comes in, which is your phalanges. So those bones just love the long one, they point the other way. So rather than being a nice straight line, you've got almost like a zigzag going on.
0: Yes, exactly. So the metatarsal is pointing towards the midline and then the phalange or what's called the hallux is then pointing towards the outside of like sort of the, yeah, the outside of the body, which is pointing towards the other toes. Yeah. The basically. fifth toe. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that was a long and convoluted <laughs> way of saying what everyone is familiar with in yeah. terms of a bunion. Um, but it's just important to note that there's, it's not just the big toe pointing in towards the, Uh, other toes it's also the metatarsal pointing away so that's creating that angle Mm. and that angle is what you'll see as like a an eminence basically so Mm. there's a that bony eminence the bunion the bunion essentially (laughs) a big part of that is actually the head of the first metatarsal which is that one that's pointing in towards the midline that long bone Over time, because that's sort of poking out medially in that way, which is not how it usually would, then more bone can be layered on that because it rubs against the ground and against shoes and so on. Uh, But it's not actually, it's not comprised fully of just a weird bony growth that's just sticking on the outside of your foot. The majority of that will generally be the head of your metatarsal
1: yeah and like you said the only reason that you start to get a bone growth there is within your body there's a thing called wolf's law essentially wherever you put force across bone but new bone gets laid down and Mm -hmm. because that part of the metatarsal head isn't normally taking on that sort of load it has to reinforce its surface and by the only way to really do that is to lay down more bone which can then lead to bony growth in that spot but like you said initially and for the most part the bunion is not bony
0: growth yeah
1: that is not what it is that's not what it starts as
0: yeah and the i guess the protrusion or how much that bony that bony protrusion or how much that bone is protruding is doesn't necessarily indicate the severity of the bunion it's more related to the angles of the metatarsals. so what the angle between your first and second metatarsal is and then what the angle of your hallux is which is the hallux is your big toe yeah so there's so bunions are also i guess medically known as hallux valgus yeah. so it's important to just have a good understanding of that again it's hard to visualize through audio <laughs> um, but if you understand the joints that are at play then it can help you understand what things need to be addressed
1: it becomes really important going into like the treatment side of things when we get there is because if you understand all the things that have occurred to create that sort of uh, deformity or deformation of the angles etc then you can almost reverse engineer it <clears throat> to start to change it or create change yeah
0: so just like we said at the start the body will respond to loads external loads that are placed upon it um and and that is part of what contributes to a bunion in, in most cases. You can also, like Tom said, reverse engineer and change the loads so that your body can change shape back in a, in a lot of cases. Mm. So, s- sometimes it depends on the severity of your bunion. And, I mean, there's always ways to change pain and, and function. Because again, mostly.
1: like we talked about, pain experience is not just physical.
0: It's not just related to the structure. Mm. And you could have a deformity. A lot of people actually do have bunions without pain um, and they function decently mm. um, or they at least function well in all the things that they feel are important to them. Um, but some people do have pain. So it's, it's this, the actual deformity itself isn't necessarily a cause of pain. That's, a, that's another thing to, to be aware of. It's just a way like, you know, an, a simple way of
1: understanding is if I had what I would genetically have normally a straight toe, and I functioned in a certain way. If my toe is a bit crooked and it's bent like it is in a bunion, then I'm just going to have a different function of that. The same way that if I have an arm that functions like an arm, but then I break my arm and I can't use my arm, I'm going to use it differently. Yeah. It's not a good or bad thing. And it's not going to, like you said, doesn't mean it's, it's better or worse. The pain's not better or worse. It's just, it's going to act differently, which then causes different loads to go into different places that may or may not be able to
0: take on that load,
1: depending upon how it sort of progressed across time.
0: Yeah. So, what are the different causes of bunions? And this is where it gets a little... Contentious. Contentious and and confusing, especially on social media. There's a lot of people, a lot of people have been told and a lot of people will profess that bunions are purely genetic. Um, You've got no control over it. If your mum and dad have them, then you'll have them. Um, and then some people are saying, oh no, it's all down. It's all down to footwear. So it's usually never black and white. Whenever you hear two (laughs) sides arguing like that, usually the answer lies somewhere in the middle and it's probably a little bit of both, which we,
1: we believe it to be a little bit of a both, but like as a, as a general way of approaching it genetically, you don't have genes in your DNA that are going to code for bunions. Yeah. So within your sort of DNA structure, it's yet to ever be proven, to my knowledge, that there is any gene that is, oh, I've born with a bunion gene. Yeah. That's not a thing. I think we need to clear that one up first because I think that's the bigger thing that people think when they think genetics. I'm born with it, I'm going to have it. Yeah. Which is not correct. However, the ligament stuff.
0: Yes. So you may be born with a gene that codes for ligaments that um, tend to be more lax than others. Which, For,
1: and like examples of like, worst case, like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome yeah. or other connective tissue disorders that, you know, can lead to things such as fibromyalgia or other conditions like that.
0: And hypermobility mm. and just... So your ligaments, to briefly just touch on what they are, ligaments go between joints to increase stability of that joint. So if your ligaments are more lax... Then there isn't as much stability in the joint, so that would go for you. Would have that you would that would be expressed in probably all of your joints, um, but your feet it will be affected by that in different ways because of the you know, they are different structure of your body.
1: Well, and, that, and, that, and that's a good point there. Like a lot of people who have those connective tissue disorders can have a variety of. Differences across their body and like your foot could be different to your hand which could be different to your neck for example so it can vary across different joints of the body
0: yeah yeah so if you got ligament laxity and we'll just keep it to the feet for now hmm. that will affect the stability of the tarsometatarsal joints and the metatarsophalangeal joints um And it can also affect like the the sort of arch structure of your foot and that will change the way you walk and that will change the way you load through your big toe and through those areas. Probably even continuing
1: on from like our last body about planar fasciitis, fasciopathy. Like if you're someone who has those changes in your connective tissue, the the structures that are going to help you have a rigid foot, for example, they may not necessarily function as well as someone else, and then that may cause different loading patterns Mm -hmm. in your foot, which may lead to something like a bunion.
0: Yeah. So if you've got that's a genetic Mm. predisposition. And that doesn't mean so similar like some people can have genetic predispositions to heart disease, it doesn't necessarily mean that they will get heart disease, but it means if they have certain environmental and lifestyle factors, then the heart is probably what's going to be most affected because they've got that predisposition or they're going to express that, those conditions as heart disease. Yeah. So, that's a really common one, but the field of epigenetics is showing... A good analogy is like the genes load the gun and the environment or the lifestyle pulls the trigger. Mm-hmm. So, you might have that genetic predisposition to bunions, but that doesn't mean that you'll necessarily get bunions... Unless you also have some other environmental and lifestyle factors, um, or just individual factors. So some other individual factors, which you know aren't genetic necessarily, but may contribute, are things like reduced ankle dorsiflexion. So if you can't move your ankle through its full range of motion while you're walking, then your body will compensate, and it'll change the way you walk. And a common Compensation is to turn out and therefore you'll be rolling in more and you're not actually pushing through. You're pushing through your big toe in a much different way. And it's actually the way you push through your big toe is actually angling it in towards the other toes.
1: And a common cause for that is a sprained ankle, which again is not a genetic thing, which can just happen from all sorts of reasons. But a sprained ankle, often you'll find people walk that way because they don't want to stress the tissue on the outside of their ankle. And when you're walking in a sort of more normal way or way we sort of deem normal on a flat surface going forward, you will we'll put more load there and you want to avoid it. So, yeah. yeah, injuries, the ankle sprain is the easy one, but any injuries to the foot lay, or leg for that matter will change the way you walk.
0: Yes, exactly. So, that's a, a common question that's asked is like, well, why do some people only get bunions on one side? And for me, interestingly, my left foot is like pretty much perfectly straight and my right foot had the de- the beginnings of a bunion developing, uh, or at least that big toe pointing in towards the others. And I had sprained my ankle multiple times while playing soccer. I'd also spent a lot of time in tight soccer boots. Um, but that's a, a change that can be important and it might only be in one side or it might be in both sides depending on your body.
1: Yeah, I think because we, we've seen this as a, as a common comment that comes up on social media. It's like, oh, it's got to be genetic because it's on one side. It's not you know necessarily two sides, like, whatever. Essentially, your body's not symmetrical anyway. Mm. Like, everything's going to be different. You're right handed or left handed. How many ampidextrous people do you know, both foot and hand? Yeah. You have not many. different lobes of your lungs on left and right side. So, like, your entire, your entire makeup as a person is always going to be different. And that will have some effects no doubt but that's again not necessarily solely genetic either like constraint therapy for example if you need to learn to write with your left hand it might take a while but your brain's really good with neuroplasticity eventually you'll figure it out so Mm -hmm. people can have differences left and right side with bunions and that is again more to your point based a lot on the environment whether that's the local one around the foot or just the general body environment
0: yeah because the body is an environment Mm. as well and so if you're someone who also, overpronates, which could be, could be uh, contributed to by ligament laxity, but also just general bodily control and, and a lot of different factors, then um, that can change the way you load in, in gait as well. So, different things that change the way your foot moves and especially your toe moves and loads can increase your risk of bunions.
1: It's probably worth noting that again, server pronation is a very interesting term as well in the literature and like with people talking, like there is, so people know, there's no full definition of it, but when we say it, what we mean is you're pronating more than you probably need to be for the activity that you're doing, which then will cause again, more load onto the inside of your foot, which will then cause the, the hallux valgus, the bunion sort of formation to continue just because of the way you load your foot.
0: Yeah. And to clarify as well, pronation is like the flattening of your foot. Mm. If you can, if you can envision just your foot. Most people are kind of familiar with mm. it or know know it, but and then supinating is the opposite movement where the like the arch is lifting. So you do actually need both of those to have an efficient walking and running pattern. You want your foot to be able to go between both. Over pronating would be either you, your foot is flattening sort of way too much or especially that it can't get back into supination is the big thing if you're stuck in pronation and you can't get back into supination then it really does change the way your foot functions Mm. so then environmental factors i think it's the big one and as we've kind of been alluding to the whole time is footwear Mm. so most modern shoes are tight stiff and narrow (laughs) and have a heel to toe and have a yeah and have a heel toe drop so let's break that down let's break down each piece because i think that's going to be worth noting how each part of that affects what goes on yeah so let's start with narrow (laughs) tight and narrow so a very obvious example is high heels or dress shoes they end in a point and a lot of that comes from those those the Fashion, fashionable deformity, I suppose, or the, the fashion of having really tight, small feet. It was somehow seen as, um, well, trendy. It became trendy, and I think, from what I understand, it's because really tight, stiff shoes are obviously so... Um, Counterproductive to physical labor and physical work, that it meant you were part of like nobility and yeah, that was you're in the upper class because you could afford it. And you could you could afford it, but you also obviously didn't need to be working the fields, no, because otherwise you wouldn't be wearing those silly shoes, no. No. (laughs) So that's kind of carried on and crept into office culture: high heels, Mm -hmm. dress shoes, pointy, stiff, and that literally shapes. So if you put your foot into there and then you like took an X-ray, then you're literally squishing your toes all together. So that is a physical force that is pointing and squishing your big toe into the other toes. Mm. I think it's a really good way of explaining it. <laughs> I think I
1: think you touched on something earlier, like with a cast. Like if you imagine you know, like a broken arm, and you put it in a cast. Like if it's in there all day and eventually when it comes out after six weeks, it's, it's quite stiff, right? Like it, it's so stiff. You wear those shoes every day. You're really stiffening up your foot, and it, it will, at the start, sort of bounce back almost to normal, but you do that five days a week for two, three, four decades, it's no surprise that there's a lot of um, sort of bunion-related problems mm. as people get
0: older. Yeah. Right? Actually, the other thing that this does is increases your propensity I suppose to over pronate and also decreases your ability to get back into supination. So a good way to just if you wanted to test this out at home, you get your foot, you squish all your toes together as far as you can, or you could even put like a rubber band around them, a tight rubber band, and then sort of knock your knees together and then push them apart and just watch how your arch changes. And then you can then un like Uh, more splay or take off the rubber band and splay your toes out and then do the same thing. Knock your knees apart and put them together uh, and pull pull them apart. And the amount that you pronate and supinate, the amount that your arch lifts and flattens will change depending on your toe splay. So not only is there that physical force pushing your toe in like that, but it also then changes the way you load while you walk. And then that we know that that contributes to those changes for bunions as well. Next part of the footwear, what was it? So we had narrow um, and stiff and rigid and then heel to toe. Yeah.
1: And I think what so the biggest part, I think, um, again, William Rossi's article was the one that sort of pointed at it. It changes where the pressure goes on your foot. So if you imagine you're standing normally barefoot, you have this sort of angle between your foot and your shin that's about 90 degrees. Like it's pretty much straight up. But when you add a heel lift or like a wedge, you know, know, think of your high heel or your standard work boot, it's going to then put you at some angle. So you mentioned plantar flexion before, but it's going to want to put your heel above the line of your toes, right? And then all of a sudden, because if you just stand there and your shin was still straight up, you'd fall, you're going to fall backwards. So you have to shift your body weight forward. And then that shifts a lot of pressure further forward on your foot and it often just goes closer to the same line of where you get the bunion formation. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have these shoes that are causing this tightening, narrowing, stiffening, you're putting more weight through there more regularly when you're
0: standing up. Yeah. So you're loading more through that forefoot, which then contributes to the bunion formation. Yeah. So the, the ultimate combo is <laughs> high, uh, the higher the, a higher heel and a tighter, narrower toe box. Uh, is the ultimate combo for mm. contributing to a bunion? Yes, there are people who can wear those shoes almost their like their mm. whole life, and they may not develop a bunion. Mm. And that becomes that comes back to that genetic predisposition. Um, but if you if you have any level of pr- genetic predisposition, then that environment for the foot will almost certainly trigger that, or that will be a con- a big contributing factor.
1: Mm. I think that's yeah. When it comes right down to it, we, we believe that shoes play a huge role in it, but it, again, is not the only role
0: in it. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's important. And then I think the other thing, which I don't think there's any research around this, but something just to consider for overall foot health and the way the foot moves is that flat level ground is a very unnatural surface for us to be walking on all the time. When it is literally everywhere. And that's all we have in our houses and our footpaths, in our offices. Everywhere is just flat level ground. And that's actually really reduces how much movement variability the foot gets. Usually we'd be walking on rocks and logs and stones and we'd be putting our feet in different... directions and our ankle would be getting a lot of i mean most people don't really even walk up hills that much anymore
1: <laughs> people mostly don't even walk on like grass like yeah as an example like if you most typical day particularly in a, in a city person is wake up in an apartment or a house get in the car go somewhere whether that's the gym or work and then stay there and then eventually come home and every position or every environment they get into is solely a uh, very flat ground. They don't uh, explore
0: all the other things. And yeah. It, it just causes you to load your foot in the same way. Yeah. Every time. Same way over and over again, repetitive loading. And that is a big part of what causes a bunion. Mm. And then it's, be- or, or, yeah, it causes those kinds of deformities and those changes. So the th- other thing about bunion, So you've got, Say you've got the perfect trifecta of genetic predisposition to some degree. Um, you might have stiff ankles, which most people do, frankly. Uh, again, a lot of that's related to footwear um, and flat level ground. <laughs> you, and you do wear high heels, dress shoes, or even, you know, we've been using those as examples, but most modern Not running shows, casual shoes, all of these hmm. shoes will tend to have... Some combination of those um, characteristics of the shoe, whether it's especially the t- uh, the narrow toe box, even wide shoes, even people who are like, oh, yeah, I get my specifically wide shoes. They're widest at the ball of the foot. Mm. They're not widest at the toes. So, that's the that's the key difference. People are like, oh, no, I buy wide shoes. Mm. It's like, no, the wide toe box is mm. what you need, not wide shoes. Because mm. if there is any, if it's widest at the ball, then it is pu- squishing your toes together. Mm. So you have, let's say you've got that perfect trifecta. <laughs> your bunion, your toe starts moving across. Then it can be a bit of a negative spiral from there because when the toe moves across and the and the um, metatarsal angle starts to change, then it also changes the action of some, some of your intrinsic muscles. So the muscles that are in your foot then change and start pulling that further and further over start mm. pulling the toe further and further
1: and over and then to add to your trifactor, with the fourth factor is and we've touched on it is the injury stuff mm. like a lot of people myself is how my toes started to go in that way you have an injury history whether that's you know knee ankle hip lower back particularly and that starts to change the way you move as well and if you add that to the trifecta you're more than likely going to start walking in different ways to mm. compensate and moving in different ways to compensate and it's no surprise that you have a negative spiral with muscles working differently and load going through places that we probably don't want to be putting through load all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like a, a turf toe injury would be mm. an example. Um, or even if it's not an injury, like just reduced toe extension from wearing shoes that are rigid and and, and often have like a rocker, uh, like a toe spring where it lifts up at the end of the foot, then that over time reduces your toe extension mobility, which means you can't push through it um sort of forward as you usually would, and therefore you can change the way it loads as well. Complete side
1: note. But that toe rocker is designed to do the thing that your toe should be able to do. So anyone who has a toe rocker, which is where the the front of your shoe lips up, that is there to replace your toe. Yeah. And if your toe is not doing it, it will lose that function.
0: Yeah. Use it or lose it is a very important principle. Love that principle. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like I said, mm. you have all those factors. The bunion starts to develop, and from there, the the muscles of the foot can actually they start to change their action because all the angles are changing. And then a muscle that primarily would be uh, responsible for flexing your foot um, or bringing the toe down towards the ground then starts to pull the toe further across. So it's called adduction. Mm. Um, and th- those are, you know, they're small little muscles, but they can be quite strong, especially in terms of acting on your toes, cause that's what they're built to do. Um, so that can be essentially how a, a bunion goes from a mild little deformity to a really severe, um, deformity where you've got a massive bump and you, you know, your big toes coming underneath your second toe and all of these things. So the earlier you can catch a bunion, the better. As soon as you start to see that angle developing, then it's like, okay, let's, let's do really start working on some preventative at least to stop it progressing. Um, and even some curative work and that's the best place. That's the best time to catch a bunion. Um, and this is sort of where we're getting into the treatments. So obviously prevention is worth (laughs) an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you can just always wear wide toe box shoes, um, and do a lot of different activities with your feet and work, walk on different surfaces and, you know, get your toes splaying and do all these things, you likely will prevent a bunion. Can't guarantee it, Mm. but you never
1: guarantee anything, but like,
0: (laughs) you're going to give yourself the best chance.
1: Yeah. I really think that at that point there, it's really good to point out. We have dozens of examples, if not hundreds now, like documented examples across the foot nerds, across um footnotes across the world really of who are practitioners who have worked with people on these things who we've done the before and afters of photos and stuff and you can see drastic changes in people's feet but the thing is it doesn't happen in a week no like it may have taken years decades to get there it's gonna i think a rough rule i learned somewhere was like you know if it took 20 years to get there it might take you 10 to get it back the other way yeah like it's gonna it's gonna take a bit of consistent practice and work across time but we are gaining more and more evidence now to show that you can create change in that function.
0: Yeah. You can create change in the function. Um, you can certainly create change in the associated pain. So if you feel like you've got bunion pain, then that, that can be improved. And a lot of that comes through improving the function. Um, in aesthetics, if that's what you're about. Yeah. The aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah. So then that the deformity and like look is another thing that people are worried about. And so, there's, I think in terms of the research, I think it's contentious whether you can change a moderate or severe bunion mm. deformity as in to improve the angle. Like you might actually be able to improve the angle of the hallux or the actual toe, but in terms of improving the angle of the metatarsal, um, mm. might be a lot more challenging and potentially surgery is the only option there. Mm. So that's, that's sort of what you want to differentiate between and what is your goal? Do you want to completely well first of all what um is your bunion mild moderate or severe what do you want to change just the deformity or do you want to mostly want to work on the pain and function um and is surgery an option Mm -hmm. for you some people like no way i don't want surgery some people like oh yeah if that's what it takes to change the deformity um it's just good to to remember that there are risks and complications that can come with surgery generally it should be seen as a last resort
1: and, and, and like i mean it's an interesting mindset i suppose but like people spend years saving money for a house mm. they put it into a bank they're, they know that it's going to take them such a long time to save for a house but when you tell them it might take you a long time of effort to change this sometimes the mindset's not there they're not ready for that Mm. And, it is, and it's an interesting thing because we do the same. We spend a lot of time on other things such as fixing cars, saving houses, et cetera, but not necessarily enough time put onto ourselves and, and our body.
0: Yeah. And, and the, I guess the culture of medicine has been this sort of quick fix mentality. And it's like, well, if you can just do a surgery that fixes it, then great. But it's important to remember that a surgery will change the structure but it doesn't necessarily change all of the genetic or environmental factors. So, Mm. you also need to be doing other things um, as well, even before the surgery, after the surgery, or instead of the surgery. Yeah, no point having the surgery and then going back to doing everything
1: exactly the same as you had, because it will probably likely lead to the same outcome.
0: Yeah. And surgery is not our um, expertise. Obviously, we're not surgeons. Um, I'm sure there's a role... it and i think one one would be you know if it's a really severe bunion and you're starting to develop arthritis then it might be a good idea to look into well i think we need to try and improve this angle so that i can save or like improve the um, joint surfaces so that the arthritis doesn't um, progress or minimize that progression but as I said, even if you are getting the surgery, you need to be doing these other things as well. Mm. So, what are those other things? Well, I mean, which which where do we start on the list? I think we've kind of alluded to it. Well, we haven't. <laughs> we haven't alluded. We've said specifically <laughs> wide toe box shoes. So, you need to be at least not making the bunion worse. Yeah. Um, and if you're wearing narrow shoes and Unfortunately, there can be podiatrist-recommended shoes that are still healed and narrow. It's very strange. I don't really understand it, um, but just you need to stop. Yeah, stop wearing narrow
1: shoes. I think I mean the acronym the guys wrote a few years ago, WTFF? Yes. For memory, like wide and wide at the toe box, not just yeah. at the toes. Thin, and the reason we say thin is. You want your shoe to be relatively like light. Like you don't want it to be bulky. The reason is you add extra weight to your leg. It's not really designed to, that's going to change the way you walk as well. Mm-hmm. Like I think that becomes very important. And if you have a shoe that is by nature wide and thin, it's probably already going to start to mimic more of what your foot does. Yeah. And then, you know, you're flat and flexible. Then, oh, that sounds like a foot. Like, that's what your foot is. Yeah. And that's why we go to shoes like that that sort of allow our feet to function like they should, but inside a shoe. Because as we both know, and we both agree, there are times when you need shoes. There, There's times and places, different shoes, different events. Like, and again, we're not against wearing, say, a high heel or a dress boot on a, you know, at a party or an event. There's nothing wrong with that. We've both done it. We both do it. But that's a very small amount of the time. Mm. Because I would say... To hazard i guess we probably spend 95 percent of our time barefoot not yeah yeah. at
0: at least at least (laughs) so and uh, sometimes it comes down to what your foot is ready for as well but even if you're not getting a fully thin um fully flexible shoe if you can at least get something that's wide and flat which there are options for now like a good a good example is uh, ultra or ultra Mm -hmm. footwear um that's like a good transition. Like if your feet are quite sensitive, you are getting pain and uh, something like a full, if going barefoot at the moment is really painful, then a fully sort of minimalist barefoot shoe might not be the best option for you, but it's a good idea to start transitioning towards that and at least getting something that is wide and flat, even if it still does have some cushioning. Mm. And even if you still have to wear your orthotic in that shoe, whatever you need to do for your feet to sort of feel good day to day, while also strengthening them and and not placing that physical narrowing load on them
1: with Mm. your shoes and like i think just again a practical example is i've i've done it both ways with lots of clients they've gone the transition shoe route of let's go to a slightly more uh, anatomically lasted shoe so a wide toe box and it's got a bit of cushion on there before progressing into sort of barefoot completely sort of minimal shoes mm. done it the other way people just now i'm just going to go again for financial reasons and other i'm just going to go at that and i'm just going to slowly incrementally spend more time in this shoe versus taking the transition shoe and really what it's shown there's no right or wrong way to do it like everyone's different everyone's got different needs and, and purposes so don't feel like you have to do one way because there again there is other options
0: yeah yeah so that's the footwear probably probably the most important Thing Because otherwise you could do lots of exercises, but if you're wearing a certain narrow heeled footwear all day, then it's going to be, it's going to be unraveling your progress for sure.
1: And it's just not as fun. Like you look for things that like a free mobility, like we like being barefoot and doing stuff, but also it gives us free mobility and free stuff that we then don't have to spend time doing. We'll spend time doing balance beaming, hacking, practicing weird movements because we're not spending the 40 minutes to do toe exercises. Unravelling the, the mm.
0: effects of shoes. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, we're probably preaching to the converted. If you've got a bunion, you'll know that wider shoes feel better anyway. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and you're probably aware that you, that, that sort of feeling of squishing okay. your toes together is making it worse. Is it
1: the biggest like uh, colloquialism, I suppose, is like you kick your shoes off at the end of the day because yeah. your feet are sore and they feel so good to get the shoe off. That goes for heels, goes for dress shoes, yeah. goes for any shoe. And the fact that we all kind of know that's a thing, but don't often address the problem, which is the shoe, mm. probably, again, comes back to societal and contextual beliefs, understandings around things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess that's where, that's where the danger of people saying, oh, it's purely genetic, then it just makes people go, oh, well, if it's purely genetic, then I'll just keep wearing the same shoes. Mm. So, um, Or like, oh, I have to wear these shoes for my job because it's in an office and there's a dress code. It's mm. like... They can't force you to wear a certain shoe. No. And if they're trying to, it might be time for another job. Yeah. You need to make a decision on what is a priority for you. Is it the health of your feet and body in general? Or is it the and job? As a
1: collective, we have a job of that. like To change yeah. that as an overarching culture. We awesome want to culture. change that
0: culture, yeah. Mm. The exercises. Exercise. So, probably the biggest one is training the opposite movement. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, your big toe is squishing into your other toes. So, you want to actually train the big toe's ability to splay away from the other toes. And that primarily comes... The action of the muscle is the abductor hallucis, Ooh, fancy. which just means, yeah, your big toe moving away from the other toes. Abduct away. So, what would be the best... What's your... What's your uh, My uh, favourite is just something called well something called toe piano, Mm. Um, but there's a lot of different ways that you can do it as well. And sometimes toe piano is going to be too hard to start with, especially if you've got a pretty significant bunion.
1: Well, let's let's work through it slowly, and we'll start from the toes and go back. Even passively, just moving the toe inwards. Just grabbing your big toe and slowly pulling it in. See what range you actually have. Yeah, Are you someone who has a fair bit of range and then when you try to move it, you, you can't? Or are you someone who, who can passively just pull it in and then you, when you are sitting there like, oh yeah, I can pull that in easy. But then you go to stand up on two feet and like, I can't move it. Because mm. once you add that layer of loading, it's harder. And then if you're like someone who can do that, can you do it on a single leg? And then, oh, I can't do that. Like there's always going to be that point. And I think just having this idea with everything. Firstly, can you passively move it yourself there then can you actively move it there and then can you actively move it there in a harder position yep. that is like a framework for the entire thing yep. yeah i think my my favorite one to go to for people is often we start in sitting is if there's a line like looking at tiles, right? The tiles have a distinct like the distinct line there. Can you move your toe from where it is onto that line? Mm. Reason is that your body likes outcomes. The brain loves outcomes. It doesn't often care about the process per se. It's just going to do it. If I have a line, I aim for the line, I'm more likely to do it. If I just say to you move your big toe in, it's hard to conceptualize that. Yeah. So finding stuff that has awesome. that way inclined and again remembering that the muscle that you said, the abductor hallucis, it takes your toe in and down. It goes like, you know, into a curled sort of state. So doing that motion and trying to take it across and down is key.
0: Yeah. So starting off passive and just mobilizing your toes. Another one that you could start there with is, um, human, we call it human toe spreader or foot hand glove. You just interlace your fingers in between your toes. This does a similar thing as the toe spaces that we sell. Um, but it just provides some space through the muscles in there. Um, And then just seeing how that feels, that might feel like a really massive stretch at first. And over time, the more you do it, then it'll feel like less and less of a stretch will feel really nice. Um, But then following that up with either immediately or over time, over like weeks, as you get better, following that up with uh, active loading. So the, Exercise I mentioned was toe piano, which is basically just lifting all your toes up off the ground. Keep the rest of your foot on the ground, lift your toes up, and slowly put your pinky toe down first. Ring toe, middle toe, pointer toe, and then the big toe. And the big, what you're trying to do is that's like your greatest, biggest active splay and trying to get your big toe as far out to the side as possible. And like Tom said, if you've got a visual cue, it can really help for, to have something to aim for. Otherwise, your brain doesn't really get it.
1: Yeah. And I think um, to follow up on a couple of points there, one is the reason that's such a good exercise is that the muscle that actually pulls your big toe across into the position that mimics the, the bunion or the halux uh, valgus, one of those muscle strands essentially goes all the way across to your little toe. So it's going to naturally get stiffer. And what you want to do is spread from your fifth toe to your first toe as far apart as possible. What's really interesting is if you actually passively do that yourself and pull your pinky away from your big toe, you can actually feel the difference between just that motion and then just pulling the pinky away. Like there's a difference in feeling. I think that's really important. And then the second part is, like we mentioned right back at the start, your foot has sort of different parts. There's a rear foot, a midfoot and a forefoot if your rear and midfoot are in a certain position, and let's just say they're in that pronated flat foot position, it's going to make it more challenging for you to try and take your big toe across than if you actually position them in a more neutral position or slightly supinated, because the way that the muscles work they work best at different sort of lengths or with different sorts of tension. So if you're someone who's just struggling to do it, it may be the case of you just need to move your foot into a different position to try the same exercise. Mm. And we, we won't delve into these weeds because it is quite complex when it gets to that the physics of the foot movement. But you have to start changing things back up the chain, not just the toes. Because we've had many comments about the toe spaces before. And it's like, Wow, well, why isn't this just working? Because it's not just about moving the big toe across. It's everything back up the chain as well that's leading mm, to that. Mm. And I think you you yourself and like Nick were always really, really big on like the hip has a huge role to play when it comes to the foot position. So when it comes to changing a bunion, you're gonna have to do some hip to foot work.
0: Yeah. So a great way to do that would be to um splay your toes with human toe spreader or toe spaces and then doing that Toe piano and just really get that uh, as wide a toe splay as you possibly can, and then balance mm-hmm. on that leg and try to really reduce how much your knee caves in or, or knocks in towards the midline, um, and trying to keep your arch as lifted as possible. So that's, that's that's just a single leg balance drill. You wouldn't have to do it in single leg necessarily. You could do it in tandem, um, but generally, even if I think. Even if you had to uh, use something else for balance, like next to a wall, that's a really great way to activate your, um, activate your foot. Intrinsic muscles. And hip. Yeah, yeah intrinsic muscles yeah. and also the connection with the hips. So, and um, just look out for
1: toe clawing. Like you don't want to yeah. be clawing your toes into the ground too hard. Like you should be able to sort of stand there with the balance or supported balance and hold your foot relatively relaxed as maybe not the right word but like it's calm it's not clenching because when you start clenching the toes then everything up the chain starts clenching and it sort of reduces how fluid your movement is yeah
0: yeah so you've got here little toe extension just
1: yeah to, to a point like you again similar to what i just said before like you've got to a muscle that goes from your big toe to little toe and your your little toe has to be able to move as well. So whether that's abducting out to the side, going down into a curl or extending, like because of that muscle connection, you want to be moving that little toe. And then like ankle dorsiflexion is a really big point. And Mm. these kind of go hand in hand, but the muscle that wraps to your big toe, um, there's a long one that goes up past around your ankle and it affects how your ankle moves. Now it sort of helps with turning your ankle in inversion and it helps with pointing down but primarily it flexes your big toe and if it's a bit stiff and things aren't working it's going to reduce how far your knee can go over your toe into ankle dorsiflexion Mm. so you want to try and improve that and the reason i wrote it that way is just like focus on ankle dorsiflexion is it's the bigger bang for buck thing if you can start to improve that whilst you're improving your toe your distribution of force back up the foot You're learning that. You're learning how to share the force and stop putting it on just the big toe knuckle and rolling in all the time. Because like you said, some people have reduced mobility in there. They'll turn their foot out. And then that causes the loading into the bunion area. Mm. Whereas if we can help start to change that, we can load elsewhere and we don't have to roll into the pronated position which causes that loading.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, ankle dorsiflexion, that's a big one. Something you can do for that is just starting with your feet together, step forward as far as you can, bend the knee on the front leg, keep the knee straight on the back leg and you'll start to feel a stretch, usually through your calves, depending on what is causing the limitation in the ankle, but a lot of people will feel that as a calf stretch and you can even um, lift the front, the forefoot of the back leg up So that you get even more of that ankle dorsiflexion. That could be a progression or that may be where you need to start um, for to feel that sort of stretch or that challenge. Yeah. I think ankle dorsiflexion gets talked about a lot, um, within
1: the lifting community, the movement community. And there's so many factors that go into what ankle dorsiflexion is. We actually, with the foot and ankle health kit, I recently had a talk with Nick and Ruth about all the, a lot of those factors. Cause we have a lot of videos for that stuff because it's not just as simple as, you know, forward and backwards. There's yeah. the foot rotating. There's the, the shin rotating. There's the hip position. Like there's a lot there. And again, it might be hard. Sometimes, like you said, people might feel the stretch. They might feel a pinch at the front of the ankle. Yeah. They might not feel the right thing. And it's hard. And that's where uh, having a bit of guidance can help. But again, the bigger thing is there's just options. Yeah. There will be options you're not even aware of when it yeah, comes to fixing those things.
0: Things to consider. And we'll, we'll say this pretty much with every condition we explore <laughs> yeah. is that individualized guidance will be the best way to figure a lot of these things out because... It's just hard to It's hard to look at how your own body is moving and to really do that problem-solving process, although we are working on the, the foot-ankle health kit, which will help people do that problem-solving process. But at the end of the day, individualized assessment will be the king for that. Yeah. Um, so we've chatted about balance. Um, and the, I guess within all of this, You can also do things like manual therapy and that doesn't have to be someone else doing it to you, although that can be great if you particularly like that and want to pay for it. Um, But you can do your own sort of plantar release as in getting a cork ball or a cork roller, which is what we have, or any kind of uh, massage ball underneath the bottom of your foot and releasing the muscles through there just to uh, literally just relieve some of the tension that builds up in in those muscles and fascia as a result of... shoes (laughs)
1: again it's like symptomatic relief to some extent there is with with those sorts of techniques there's some like um research uh, which goes both ways that it does change some of like the way in which your your nervous system sees the muscle and vice versa through like reflex loops and such but if it again is the thing that helps you get into a position to comfortably do the the next thing which is going to be some form of movement or exercise that really starts to help you then You should do it. There's no reason not to.
0: Yeah. So that yeah, that's a key thing. We probably should have talked about these first. (laughs) As but um, in terms of importance, the exercise is the most important. In terms of why they came first. (laughs) Order order of how you would do these things is probably some kind of yeah, plantar release or a calf trigger massage release, whatever you however you want to call that. And even um, massaging in between your metatarsals. So if you you know if you come to the say you come to your big toe and you run the line down to your bone on the metatarsal, which is below the knuckle. And then you come across, that would be the, um, lumbricals in there and just massaging in through the, that area can be a good way to loosen it up. And what you can do is figure out, well, does that help me then say, do a toe piano mm. easier? Often it does. And often <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, and then, I think, you know, as you, you might have to do some boring exercises at first and, but something we're very big on is integrating some level of play is the way is the way. (laughs) So it could be something as simple as balancing on one leg and then gripping a, a sock or a hacky sack we like, um, with your, with your toes. And that's like, again, it's an external, um, feedback of like how well am my toes playing well i'll know because i picked up the socks or i didn't
1: and uh, and this goes back to the this constant sort of reminder that a lot of the work and the stuff at the start is often very consciously driven like you have to sit there and think about it and do it but when we do play-based exercise it becomes more unconscious and that is how you get around the world you need to be able to do these things unconsciously because if you were to be walking around all day so worried about which position your toes in and as it's pushing off it would drive you insane yes we and by adding play a it makes it fun and it builds into that sort of capacity
0: yeah yeah so you just want you want these things to be more automatic it does take a lot of focus at first but you will you will get there and it can get more fun and it can get sort of easier um, but you do have to push past that little bit of discomfort. And again, first.
1: it's, it's real. It's probably good to really sort of say that it might take a while. Yeah. Like it's not, I guess if you've had that bunion coming there, it's not going to disappear in a week. No. It's not going to be too, it might take a while. And I think if you're working with a practitioner about it, it's good to be upfront with that idea and really start to plan for that. And then just work your way through it piece by piece. Mm-hmm. And that's why the play is so important. Yeah, You've got to keep it enjoyable.
0: Yeah. For sure, and take progress pics as well. Take before and afters, go and send them in. We'd love to in. see. Yeah. We'd love to see yeah.
1: them because we do it all the time. Like we get them, post them. Yeah, it's great to see.
0: Yeah, and it helps you stay a little bit more motiva- more motivated. Like you take a photo, like if you take a photo, <laughs> and then a month later you take another photo. You might not have visually noticed it yourself, but you compare the photos. And you're like, oh, I can actually see a little bit of a change there and that can help with the motivation. That almost
1: happens with well. everything. You never yeah. see the, the progress until you stop and someone either gradual. points it out or mm. you, know, you get the photo.
0: Yeah. So that's pretty much where we can wrap it up, I think. Mm. Um, again, there's a, there's a lot of different factors. Individualized guidance is going to be helpful, but as long as you're aware of those factors and you can start doing something... There are, we do have some free resources on YouTube, some follow along routines. um, And we also obviously have our products, toe spaces, soulmate, cork ball, those things that you can get. Um, But there is a lot that you can do without products. Um, And and, I mean, also with
1: products or no products, we're now also offering online tele-rehab sort of consults for physio. So if you are someone who's struggling with bunions and you would like to know more, you can reach us through that as a link. And alternatively, if you're someone who likes it just more in person as the experience... We, we're in Brisbane, but we have a whole host of footnodes around the country and in different parts of the world that yeah. we can always link you in with. And I think something to remember is like we all might trait slightly different or do it slightly differently, but we have the same shared philosophy and we all talk to each other
0: about certain things. So, yeah, which is good. Cool. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you everyone for listening and tuning in and please feel free to reach out with questions and otherwise we'll catch you on our next episode. All right,
2: ciao. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at thefootcollective.oz or on TikTok at thefootcollective. If you're ready to restore and explore your own natural function, you can check out our range of physical and digital tools at our online store, tfc-shopaus.com and use the code R2E10, that's R the number 2, E10, to save 10%. You'll find all the links in our show notes.